Hi guys, and welcome to the fourth episode of the podcast, Jimmy D and Mr. B. I am Jimmy D. And I am Mr. B, and we're here to talk about some history. So we left off our last episode pretty much talking about the background of the Crusades and how it got started. And for those of you who uh, have forgotten what we talked about a week ago, Pretty much what happened was uh, the Byzantine leader, uh, Alexios, needed some assistance. The Turks were invading his homeland, and he thought it would be a good idea to ask the Pope for some help. Pope Urban says, you know what, that is a great idea, and while we're at it, we might even go and take the Holy Land as well. So he gets all the Europeans razzed up with his cry for victory, Deus Volt, which as we know means God wills it. Deus Volt. And the Crusades were upon us. Um, And then obviously we had the People's Crusade, which jumped ahead a little bit early uh, than than what the uh, Pope had wanted. And then they failed horribly um, and actually made it harder for the other crusaders to come through later on, as we'll find out, because of the... Caused more damage to Europe than they did to uh, <laughs> the intended targets. Exactly right, yes. They pretty much did what they wanted to do to the Turkish and the Muslims, but they did it to their to the Europeans instead. So it was, it was, it was, it was a horrible effort by them. But now we're on to part two of our uh, episode of the Crusades. And Clint, I'll throw to you if you just want to start us off with what we'll be going over and uh, we can uh, crack into it. Yeah, so we're pretty much picking up where we left off before with the official start of the Crusades. So don't bother listening to this if you haven't listened to part one. We go over all the motivations, we go over the reasoning, um, but this is the actual kickoff. So this is around August of 1096. Um, there are five main crusader armies. So these are the more organised armies as opposed to Peter the Herbert and his uh, rabble-rousing peasants. These are, you know, your proper organised noble armies from places like France and Germany and um, what's not along there. Basically, they all left Europe around the same time in 1096. I'm not going to go into too much like the names of these armies or where they're from or the characters involved um, because otherwise we would need a part three, four, five and six, I think. (laughs) Um, But you will get a quality story and understanding of the Crusades through this, I reckon. So these main armies, they took different paths to Constantinople and there was some actual logic behind this. As we've talked about before, that trip to Constantinople, I think, was over 2,000 kilometres and then Jerusalem's another couple of thousand kilometres from, you know, Germany at the time. Um, They took these different routes because hopefully that meant that, you know, with the army spread out, they would have more opportunity to collect supplies and, you know, be able to feed themselves on the way through, as was pretty apparent in that first episode um, and will also be apparent now. Getting food is, like, huge in this thing because this is, is like, over four years essentially of... or over three years essentially of um, being away from home and often in the middle of nowhere fighting. So... 
it's believed. Go ahead, Jimmy. Oh, sorry. I was going to say. Um, also, another thing to remember: a lot of these guys aren't on horses. They're walking in their armor. Like they don't have. Uh, like a lot of them don't have other people to take their armor for them, or it's not all on carts and stuff. A lot of these guys are walking the whole way, so it's like a bit of uh, a thing to think about. Is if you're walking four thousand k's over however long a period and you're in full heavy armor with chain mail on it's pretty exhausting and they would have been walking in the warmer months they wouldn't have been going in winter so on top of like just the general amount of time it took them to walk there they're also walking in probably pretty warm uh sun and they're wearing not like they're, they're not in shorts and a t-shirt they're either in heavy uh cloth clothing or armor and we think that the majority of the soldiers were these walking soldiers. There were, as we talked about with the People's Crusade and Peter the Hermit squad, they ended up having, you know, 80,000 plus peasants. But this group, um, these five groups essentially, they had around 50,000 soldiers, but these are different types of soldiers. These are fully equipped, trained, um, much better off and much more likely to um, do some damage in the Holy Land. So. Their trip across Europe wasn't nearly as eventful as the People's Crusades. There was no Holocaust committed by this group at the time. Um, They managed to go through Hungary without killing a bunch of Hungarians because, and obviously if you're the king of Hungary at the time, Jimmy, and these previous crusaders come through. You're pretty wary. Do you think you're going to trust the next group? I definitely wouldn't know, and 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 re- he comes up with a pretty sound idea to pretty much uh, stop whatever was whatever happened last time from happening again. And it was, and to me, it was a pretty fair deal because considering that pretty much his country was almost overrun and taken over by uh, the last group who came through, I think this was a pretty fair deal. Yeah. So one of the leaders, uh, Godfrey of Bouillon, he was. Um, He basically gave the king of Hungary his son as a hostage and said, look, if my my troops won't stuff up on the way through, you've got my son if anything happens. Um, So that obviously meant that they passed through um, without, you know, raping and pillaging their way through Hungary um, on the way past. So the Crusaders, they all reached Constantinople, you know, within a pretty close proximity to each other. Upon getting there, um, Alexios, obviously the emperor of the Byzantine Empire that we talked about a lot in the last episode, um, he was there to meet each of these um, these leaders or these princes, essentially, um, and that's why they call it the Prince's Crusade because all of these um, sort of leaders were essentially princes of different um, areas or regions of Europe. Emperor, Emperor Alexios, he had all of these guys swear an oath of allegiance to him. He's like, hey, you guys are here to look after us, the Byzantines. So that means no matter what land you capture, all of that sort of stuff, you can live on it, you can profit off it, but we own it. It's our land. So he made all of those leaders swear an oath to him and and they did, and they were rewarded pretty kindly with that, with, you know, gifts and money and all of that sort of stuff in return. So Alexios 
Yeah, go ahead. And I mean, also, um, he wasn't asking for more land than what was originally his anyway. So he was only wanting the land back that the Turks had taken, had gone in and taken from him. He 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 wasn't being a greedy man, really, in considering how much greed fueled the Crusades. He was just like the land that was mine before. Once you take over it, it comes all back to me. He he wasn't looking for more than what he was owed, pretty much, really. Yeah. And through this, I reckon there became two really distinct groups. There was the Byzantines and the Crusaders. So I think when they got there, the Crusaders thought that Alexius was going to kind of lead them. He wasn't too interested in that. He was looking out for the Byzantines. These guys were here to help. Smart man. Smart man. So he sent them on their way. Um, The first stop was Nicaea. And this is a super important strategic city. It's just on the, you know, Asia Minor side of um, Constantinople and it held the road to Jerusalem, which was obviously the target um, for, you know, the crusade to take back. Nicaea was also a former Byzantine city that had recently been overtaken by the Seljuk Turks. So Alexius had some interest there. Um, They'd managed to turn it into their capital city. It was the home of the sultan. It was the home of his family, the treasury, um, lots of lots of money and um, booty to be plundered in Nicaea. Most of the citizens were also Christians because, you know, previously they were Byzantines and then these Turkish guards, you know, overthrew them. So you've got Turkish guards and then the majority of people within those walls are Christians. Not super far away, Nicaea, Jimmy. Um, look, I mean, I think for uh, Nicaea, this was not only important because of its strategic uh, area to the Holy Land, but I mean, also it w- it it was a big trading zone as well. Yeah. So um, this is where uh, not this is not just a place for the Byzantines and for the and the, the Turks. This was like a place where like a lot of other countries came and uh, yeah. traded. So I think in terms of its importance, it's, it's as important in terms of its strategic value as any of the other places that they laid siege to. Yeah. Agreed. It seemed to be like the kind of that gateway of trade between a lot of areas. Um, so this was in June of uh, 1097. Um, the Crusaders basically laid siege to Nicaea. And we're going to be talking about laying siege quite a lot through this episode. And I guess we should probably just really quickly say what laying siege is, Jimmy. I mean, siege is pretty much where there's an enemy and they're in a castle or or a fortification of some description. And the enemy coming is trying to basically... Wait them out essentially, but while they're waiting them out, they're stopping their supply lines, they're stopping anyone from leaving or going in, and pretty much they're kind of trying to starve them out, really, and make it yeah. as hard for them as possible while at the same time trying to break down the, their walls. And sieges really are dependent on two things one, how good the siege weapons of the opposition are. And and how patient they are, but two also what what are the supplies like in the place that they're trying to take, and what type of soldiers do they have there? So it's really it's it's a it's really important for the guys who are being sieged to be well stocked on food. 
because the more food you have, the longer you can you can uh, stay in your castle for. And then also it's really important for the guys who are sieging to be also well-stocked so they can continue to siege and attack this place for as long as they can. Yeah, awesome. Well, well explained, I reckon. So, yeah, you're waiting the other team out, essentially. And, um, yeah, we're hoping for a surrender within due time. But obviously these can take a really, really long time as well. Um, the Sultan of uh, the Seljuk Turk Empire wasn't actually even at Nicaea. He knew the Crusaders were coming, but the last Crusaders he dealt with were Peter the Hermit and his gang that they just absolutely routed about 30,000 of with their bow and arrows. So they weren't, it sounds like he wasn't too stressed, old uh, Arslan of the Seljuk Turks. No, he... um. He obviously had seen what had come before and assumed that it was the same thing again. Unfortunately for him, though, he w- he w- he w- he was wrong. Um, he he probably should have stayed, um, but yeah. I mean, hindsight is uh, twenty twenty. But yeah, so the Crusaders who came were a much more organised force and were willing to wait out the Seljuk Turks a lot longer. And uh, way, and were much more uh, strategic than what uh, Peter the Hermit's band of men was. Yeah. So Nicaea is a big city, um, several miles long of walls, and um, basically you had three walls, and then on the fourth side was basically a large lake area. So the Crusaders, um, you know, it didn't sound like the best plan in retrospect, but essentially they blocked off all of those three walls and um, didn't really realise that the Turks were able to get provisions in via boat um, <laughs> during the siege. So they were kind of waiting them out for quite a long time. Um, I think it has, yeah, basically for quite a long time, they're waiting outside, waiting outside the walls, and they're like, why aren't these guys surrendering yet? Um, they're just getting all their food and stuff shipped in, aren't they? Which is, I mean, it's it's actually pretty poor form because they knew that Nicaea had a port. They knew that boats yeah. could enter enter this place. So um, I don't know who I don't know who was in charge of uh, surrounding surrounding it, but they clearly weren't thinking about. There's four walls. Maybe we go around all four and yeah. stop, and so, or or at least send some guys down to the water to make sure that there's no boats coming in. Once they did realise this, you know, Alexius, you know, rocked up with his Byzantines and pretty quickly realised, hey, guys, they're getting all their supplies through the water and um, quickly got some boats, brought in, rolled them in on logs pretty much once the Byzantine, once the Turks saw that they had figured out the the boat thing, <laughs> um, they they gave up. They didn't put up a huge amount of resistance because, like I said, they hadn't taken the threat too seriously in the first place. Um, so they were probably undermanned compared to the Crusader army and they um, conceded the city of Nicaea. Um, now, with this, Alexius <laughs> was the one that overthrew Nicaea, essentially, wasn't he, Jimmy? He was, and I think for the Seljuk Turks, he, they should thank their lucky stars that it was him who overthrew the city because, as we'll find out later on, the Crusaders were not exactly the most uh, kindest of uh, conquerors. Yeah, so 
Alexios, he went in with his Byzantines originally because that's the pact, that's the oath, the stuff's mine. He didn't really trust the other Crusaders and he didn't really just let them all come in. He kind of kept most of them outside. He'd bring them in in small groups, give them some some money, give them some treasure and then send them out the other side towards Jerusalem on their way. And Alexios doesn't do... Um, he's he's pretty satisfied with getting Nicaea, I think, at this stage. Well, yeah, I think, I mean, he's taken back the land that was his, and I think Nicaea was the main was the main thing he wanted because this pretty much gives him control of the road into the Holy Land, and it also gives him access to the port as well. So he's he's sitting pretty happy with his uh, with this, and um, he really doesn't need to go any further. And yeah. so he, so pretty much, this is where he stops, and um, he lets all the uh, all, all all the soldiers march on through to to uh, continue their siege on upon the Holy Land. Yeah, for sure. So the Crusaders they left Nicaea very shortly after this because they are, they weren't the Byzantines weren't too keen on keeping them around, and sent them on their way. Um, to the next stop. So they were on their way to Antioch, so on the road to Antioch, which was the next major um, city that they needed to conquer in order to take Jerusalem. As they left, though, um, obviously the Seljuk Turks have heard of this defeat. They've kind of fallen back. The Crusaders actually ran into a bit of a pickle at uh, Doraleum, and I'm probably saying that terribly, um, basically the Crusaders, they split into two groups. You know, we're talking these five major armies um, and again to get supplies on the way through with the intention to meet at Duralayim. Um One group was attacked by a really large number of um, Arslan's Turkish army that he'd gathered. And this is a really famous story. Um they were outnumbered. The Turks, as we talked about in part one, were awesome with the arrows, like the bow and arrow shooting, um, that sort of stuff. The Norman army, which was this one that had separated, um, was they basically deployed this tight-knit defensive formation where they put everyone in the middle that didn't have a shield and they basically just had everybody stand around in a circle with shields and apparently they held tight for close to a day. Have you heard this story, Jimmy? Um, I've read a, a, a small amount about it, but, I mean, it just shows the power of what the shield could do because, I mean, it, they've they've uh, essentially just banded, banded together. And I don't know if people know a lot about the Crusader equipment, but they would have had a combination of all different types of shields and some of them would have been quite long and tall. And this allowed them to really create a wall, essentially, um, which would have been very hard for the, for the Turks to break. And, I mean, thankfully for them, they held out long enough for support to come. Yeah, so they held out long enough for the, when that second army essentially came up from behind, obviously um, fought the Turks off and um, off the Turks went again and they were on their way to Antioch. They did lose a lot of men here um, through, you know, the arrow fire, but I think... Like the odds were against them here. I reckon without that sort of planning and without that sort of organised formation, I think they would have been done for here. So, yeah, so the Crusader army 
they they didn't really deal well with the the weather or the or the climate. But what they did have was strong uh, uh, battle formations, and they knew how to uh, to work as a team. And that's probably what saved them in the end. And then obviously uh, Godfrey came along quite quickly um, and was able to flank the the Turks. And that's what really broke them enough to give them a break. And then they were able to uh, uh, stop stop fighting and go back on on their march towards the the, the, the uh, uh, Holy Land. Yeah. So the road to Antioch it's essentially cleared now. Um, the Turks have retreated. I say cleared of Turks, but they, it was still quite difficult going for the Crusaders. Um, the Turks along their way, retreating back, um, further into the Holy Lands, they made sure to destroy all of the water wells along the path. They made sure to take as much of the crops and stuff as they could and burn the rest, um, to essentially make it as difficult as possible for the Crusaders to survive. What was about a thousand kilometre journey from Nicaea to Antioch through some pretty brutal mountains. How do you think you'd fare going through brutal mountains with what we've talked about? I mean, just alone, even if you don't take into account what they were wearing, what they had to bring along the way, um, trekking through mountains in that type of heat and not being able to access clean water or food. Um, it's honestly surprising that the Turks didn't break them there. Um, but it just shows, I mean, these guys were stubborn. That's the word for it. They, they wanted the Holy land so badly that they just kept on, on marching. And it's almost a testament to their faith, really, that they, they, they so believed in God wills it so much that they willed themselves to um, Antioch. And um, you can just picture them just chanting Deus Volt, Deus Volt as they march through this. Exactly right. So, I mean, now, I mean, now we're coming up to the siege of Antioch and this is, this is almost as important as the Holy Land itself in terms of uh, what they needed to do to, to, uh, uh, break the siege and then it was really the, the 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 last stop on the way there and i mean by this time they've just walked through the mountains they're exhausted they're tired they're probably starving um do you want to lead us in in into what happened at the siege clint yeah so we're in like october of 97 here so it's taken them a few months to get from um nicaea to antioch antioch's this massive big walled city formerly a Roman Empire city. Um, It's in the mountains as well, so there's these massive big stone walls around the place. Um, They've obviously lost a lot of men on the way and the Turks were not going to be surprised this time like they were in Nicaea. They were ready and prepared for this. Um, The city was too big to fully surround and lay siege to with many of their gates high up in the mountains. Um, It made it so that the Crusaders were only able to partly cut off supplies, and this resulted in it being about an eight-month siege. So can you imagine going through all the different seasons of the Middle East? I mean, I think it would have been been an insane experience. And, I mean, now they're coming into, like, uh, 
uh, wetter weather, um, which, I mean, if you're in heavy armour and it's muddy and, I mean, you're in the desert, so it's all sand, so it's turning all to mud, you've got to bring in your siege weapons, you've, you've you, I mean, really, you've, you have to keep them as dry as you can. Um, so, I mean, this was the worst situation that they probably could have asked for in terms of trying to uh, lay siege to... Um, a fort because they were well supplied. They couldn't cut off all of their supply, and there and there was a strong army in there who knew exactly what to expect from these guys. Yeah. So, and we've got five armies of people to supply, basically just hanging out around the walls and around the gates of this city, trying to put pressure on Antioch. Feeding these guys was a big deal, and they would send off small groups to basically be foraging groups in nearby small towns. One of these foraging groups, they went off to one of these nearby small towns and they happened to bump into this massive Muslim army that was marching the other way God wills um, it. down the road. God wills it. This is one of those really, like, unbelievable stories and there's a few of these unbelievable stories um, coming up. These guys were basically going to give the uh, Muslim armies in Antioch a bit of a chop out. They were probably going to attack the Crusaders from the outside, supply them with more food, weapons, um, all of that sort of stuff as well. Um, but just by dumb luck, they met on this road and both sides fought. Despite the Crusader party, this just this foraging group being massively outnumbered, they were able to lay some casualties on the Muslims and vice versa um, in this little on-the-road battle. Um, luckily for the Crusaders, though, the Muslim commander in charge didn't seem too keen on being the relieving force <laughs> in the first place. And once he lost a few men, they pretty much just turned around and abandoned plans to assist Antioch. And... This came in handy throughout some of these battles during the Crusades, this sort of lack of unity between these different um, Muslim or Turkish groups, Jimmy. I know it's um it's 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 pretty amazing because I mean I can't imagine that the uh the group who was going to these towns would have been a large force. And I mean it was just clear that there wasn't a united front amongst the Turkish tribes or the, or, the, or the Muslim tribes that were trying to hold Antioch and then later to hold the Holy, the Holy Land. So I think, um, I think that's the one thing that the Crusaders did have on their side. They might have been outnumbered at times and they might have had things go against them, but they're, they're, they were focused on this one goal and that pretty much was the one thing that set them apart from uh everything else they were they were focused they wanted what they wanted and they were going to do anything um it took to uh get it yeah so this this foraging party they get back to camp the camp probably don't want to hear about how they fought off this big turkish army <laughs> they're pretty upset that they didn't bring any food back um people were trying to desert the the cause trying to run back to europe essentially like they'd kind of started to lose a bit of faith in the mission. But um, one of the leaders, very religious guy in charge, he had a genius idea. Let's all go on a fast to boost morale and please God. 
God wills not it. Not a bad plan when you're out of food, is it? <laughs> that is, I mean, that is some genius thinking. We don't have any, what could we do when we don't have, you know what? We'll fast. And I mean, yeah. that's, that is, I mean, and as Christians, as they all were, you can't say you're not going to fast for, for uh, God's help. So, I mean, it was, it was truly inspired. Yeah, so after this brutal siege um, of about eight months, um, the Turkish army, Muslim army, not getting reinforcements. The siege was not ended by force, but rather by betrayal, maybe simply just one guard just getting a bit of a bribe (laughs) from one of the crusaders. Essentially, a handful of crusaders were able to just climb a ladder into the city, open the gates from the inside, and um, surge in, and they were not very merciful when they entered the city, were they? No, this is a this is a big theme for uh, uh, the uh, the these guys. They um they weren't kind, and they weren't uh, kind to the people who of the places that they were trying to uh, uh, to, to be in, and um, they murdered, they slaughtered everyone, and really, it was just a bloodbath. To, to be honest, that's the that's probably the uh, kindest word you can use for what happened in in uh, Antioch. Yeah, so Antioch, the Christians are in; they're inside the walls. They'd um, killed most of the Muslims within the walls. There was still kind of like it's a big city, so there were still kind of some groups up in the other end of the city. Um, but they kind of had them under control. Some of these reinforcing armies for the Muslims and stuff arrived, though, and the Crusaders actually ended up being trapped inside of the city walls, and it ended up being the other way around. They were without food, and the Turkish and Muslim armies were trying to beat down the walls. Um, To make matters worse... (laughs) On the way, one of the major leaders um, of the crusading forces, so as I said, you know, you've got these five armies, uh, Stephen of Blois decided to abandon the crusade um, just before they managed to get in um, and return home. He kind of assumed that they wouldn't succeed and his excuse was he was ill. He's taken the first uh, sick day in, uh, in, uh, in, in, in history there. Yeah, he did. Yeah, he pulled a sickie. Um, on the way back, he's like, I'm going to pull a sickie. I'm going to go back to Europe. He runs into a Byzantine army. As I said, these armies kind of become separate, but the Byzantine army were still coming to support the Crusaders in Antioch, which it sounds like they could have used that help at yes, the time. Definitely. Um Stephen of Blois told him, nah, all hope's lost, don't bother, Um, turn around, they're stuffed. So (laughs) essentially, not only did he abandon, he also um, cost them uh, some reinforcements as well. So uh, his reputation isn't great if you look him up. Um, So by now, the Crusaders, they were getting starved out and sieged and they were kind of, again, thinking all hope was lost. But Das Vault, um, God, God will Crusaders it. had a vision. Do you want to explain this vision, Jimmy? So, I mean, as you do when you're in a crusade and things aren't looking great, you randomly get a vision of something that can help. And 
pretty much he had a vision that there was uh, this this lance, this lance from St. Andrew, and um, he was told where to find it. And they were they went to this church that was within within in the city, and they dug up the floor of the churches, and in this city, this guy happened to find this lance, the lance of longiness, and um, that pretty much finding this magical lance that uh, he had a vision from pretty much uh, got the crusaders into a frenzy really. And they were, and they were like, you know what? We're keen to go. And, um, and it's almost unexplainable about how it happened, but all the stuff, but all the crusaders pretty much just stormed out of the city. So the opposite of what you meant to do in a siege, you meant to stay in the city. They've charged out and pretty much gone hammer and tong on the, on, on the Turks and they pulled off an unex- unexplainable win. Yeah. It's the hardest part of the story to believe and explain this win. Like they all got G'd up because they found this little thing that's supposed to have a link to Jesus Christ um, and it inspired them, this hungry army trapped inside the city to just storm out the gates and, um, yeah, it, it was, I wouldn't say improbable. It was pretty much impossible, but um, Deus Vault after all. I mean, I mean, the only reason you could think is perhaps the Turkish soldiers were just so taken back by what was happening that perhaps they thought there were more soldiers inside that than than there were. Maybe they thought they'd somehow been 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 supplied by another army or something like that. Because I mean, the Turks had them on the back foot. They were pressing. They the old crusaders had no food; they were starving, and a magical lance has pretty much saved them from utter defeat. Yeah. So, and again, another theory is that just again, like we said, with the Turkish army coming down the road to the forager party, some of the commanders might have just not been that keen on helping out um, other Muslim groups um, within the area. So there might have been just a little bit of, oh, let them through. We're probably better off with the Crusaders in than, um, you know, that neighbour group down the road. Exactly right. Again, another win for the Crusaders and they're on to their final hurdle at Jerusalem, um, which is the target. Another tough trip here, Jimmy. Yeah, I mean, it's another 700 uh, K's down the road, just a short march. Um, and again, it's, it's harsh, it's hot. And I mean, it's a long way, but they actually had compared to what they've, uh, compared to what they've had to do with, it's a pretty easy, easy run. Um, it's, it's, they're not going through mountains at this stage. It's just, it's just the, it's just the hotness that's out there. Um, but obviously, uh, the, um, Sunni Muslims are also they, they were giving them supplies and protection um, in exchange for not being slaughtered. Essentially, obviously, word had gotten out these Crusaders were happy to kill anyone and everyone. So um, they actually got some assistance from the people they were probably going to later slaughter anyway. Um, yeah. So, uh, so, uh, so essentially, a year after their victory at Antioch, the remaining Crusaders finally reached their goal. Um, and Clint, do you want to uh, take it from here and uh, explain what happened at, at, at this yeah. final siege? 
No worries. So at this stage, um, you know, we've originally had those five armies leave uh, from Europe. Only three of these leaders and armies were left due to things like factors like death, desertion, also some disease had run rampant through the Crusaders as well through this time. Um, The Byzantines, they were done with it. They already had their riches of Nicaea and had been told to um, not bother supporting the Crusaders. So um, it was basically these three armies, um, you know, with God's will trying to take Jerusalem. Um, By the time they reached there, originally we said around 50,000 men, we're probably down to about 12,000. So there's been pretty heavy toll along the way. Um, Anticipating their arrival, uh, the surrounding wells of Jerusalem were actually poisoned and all the lands around them were ravaged. So because of this, siege like what had worked in Antioch was not really an option here. No, they that- didn't have the men... Go ahead. They, they, it was like you said. They, 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 they didn't have have the time to wait eight months again. They, they needed to go now, and they needed it to be quick. Yeah. So all out assault was the only option. Um, but in order to take out a city um, with walls, you need some of that siege weaponry um, that you mentioned before, particularly things like siege towers to be able to scale the walls um, and get into the city in the first place and have that initial combat. In order to have siege towers, you need materials like trees and supplies. As I mentioned, um, the lands around there were ravaged and burnt um, in anticipation of the Crusaders getting there. So there was nothing to build siege towers or weapons out of. But again, God's will potentially or another lucky stroke for the Crusaders, do you want to mention this one, Jimmy. The uh, the uh, Genoese ships um, showed up, which are obviously uh, from 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 uh, Europe, and they showed up at a nearby port. Um, and obviously, feeling sorry for the Crusaders, you would imagine they broke down their ships, which gave the Crusaders um, the supplies that they needed to build siege towers. Now. Yes. At, this, at this point, they've split into two forces because there's two big walls, and they and they basically have tried to 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 to, to begin their assault. One side one side of the army who was on one wall failed pretty hor- horribly, but the other was able to set up the siege tower and successfully get into the city. Um. Once they did this, that it was a struggle and there was a lot of fighting happening. But in the end, the 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 army that uh, was able to get into the city opened the gates, and pretty much this let in uh, the rest of the army. And as we said before, the Crusaders were not known for their kindness when they were laying siege to a city, and they pretty much got rid of everyone within in inside. They not only destroyed the army but they got they killed all the women the children the jews who were there and pretty much um destroyed it from the inside out and it was a bloodbath um and that was and 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 then so and then at the end of that they had won the battle and that was on the 15th of july 1099 yeah so like you said absolutely um merciless sort of entry into jerusalem and 
it's one of those things like it does impact that Crusader reputation, the way that they sort of treated um, people within the city walls once they had won battles, you know, not showing this sort of chivalrous nature, but exactly rather right, yeah. like out, outright murder essentially of I mean, um, people from other religions. And, I mean, and you have to wonder if the motivation came from when the Pope said, we mentioned in the last episode, that pretty much all sins would be uh, all good. It doesn't really matter what you do because you're doing this in the name of God, you're all good. And I wonder if that played a bit of a, um, a motivation in these crusaders who had a really horrible journey there and they really wanted to take out their rage on the people who had stopped them from taking um uh, what they wanted. So I, I'd be interested to know, I mean, obviously we can't find out, but if that was a, a big a big motivator and why the Crusaders were so uh, ruthless on their assault of uh, the places that they uh, tried to uh, get. Yeah, so we're there, we've made it. It's, it's not pretty, but the battle's won and um, Jerusalem it now basically belongs for the time being to the Christians. So they install what's called the Kingdom of Jerusalem um, and basically they install one of the uh, leaders that ended up making that their Godfrey of Bullion, who we'd mentioned earlier, had ransomed his son out. He became the first ruler of the Kingdom of Jerusalem and was soon succeeded by his son, Baldwin, who was actually the ransomee. Um, that family line ruled Jerusalem for over 100 years, um, but eventually um, Muslims were able to um, take over the city again. Um, In the end of this crusade journey, um, a few sort of summaries, I guess, looking at it. Obviously, Alexius inspired this this journey in order to take back land for the Byzantines and defend Europe from Muslim incursions. He never re- really went much further than Nicaea and didn't really have, seem to have much intention of actually claiming Jerusalem. Um, what, do you, what do you think of that one, Jimmy? I mean, I think it just really shows that his, uh, his, uh, he, he just wanted the best for his country, really, and his lands, and he wasn't really obviously that keen on sending his armies to what he probably thought was probably not the greatest cause. So, I mean, he's really ended up the winner out of all this, yeah. really. Um, he's he's kept his, his country strong for another few hundred years, really, until um, it, until his empire was, was ended. So, I mean, in terms of what you would want to get out of a situation, he, he, he ended up on top, really. Yeah, and the bloke that he convinced to send the rest of Europe to help Pope Urban... He actually died 14 days after the fall of Jerusalem and, you know, it's 4,000 k's away. He probably never even heard of the success. No. So, yeah, it didn't help him really. So Alexius was able to achieve his selfish, I guess, motives. Pope Urban, you know, he wanted, I guess, to be legitimised or combine the churches. Maybe he did one of those things, um, but he never lived to see it and, you know, it's probably only really combined for a short amount of time relatively in history exactly, as yeah. well. There was a massive human toll, obviously, that we've talked about, um, not only to, uh, to Christians, Muslims, but also um, Jewish people along the way. Women and children and peasants were not spared either. 
Um, the death toll is enormous and probably impossible to know. Like census oh. records on peasants were pretty much non-existent at this point. Exactly. And also the, I'm sure that, um, I mean, and, and you have to include obviously what, what, happened at all the other sieges as well like if you take into account i mean even just at the at their main siege in uh um they they probably couldn't even tell you how many were were killed but if you take into account antioch and and all and all those other sieges it would have been uh brutal yeah so following from this obviously as i said um muslim armies were able to reclaim the holy lands and that led to a number of other crusades taking place over um the coming sort of three or three or so centuries from that um there's the most famous one being the third crusade um which could be a topic one day potentially because it's pretty meaty topic um there were four other sort of pretty big ones including one called the children's crusade which was where they got about 30,000 children um, from France to just kind of try to march to the Holy Lands in the name of God and uh, convert them all to Christianity. Um, Those kids basically ended up all getting kidnapped and taken into slavery. So, again, pretty – this was – and I think it's hard to imagine – this was the successful crusade. Yeah. I mean, in, in, in terms of, like, how many men, women, children have died, you would have thought, even though they, even though they took the city and they got what they wanted, the amount of men and soldiers that they had to use to do it was almost beyond count. And, I mean... I mean, at, I mean, at, at the end of it, they, I mean, they, they sent almost all the other crusaders went home and they only held the city with like a few thousand men, really. Yeah. A lot was um, through these crusades, there was some benefit, I guess, um, to Europe. They were able to gain some really cool stuff from the Muslim world. Um, we talked about it in the first part where they were pretty advanced, um, you know, socially and scientifically and technologically. So from these crusades, they were able to get things like, you know, the modern-day numbers system, whereas previously they were using Roman numerals. They were able to learn different stuff about science and medicine and maths and get better food like citrus food and spices um, from these regions that previously they hadn't really visited. So I guess I wanted to give a little positive spin. Exactly um, right. But it's, it's, you know, probably not, you know, it doesn't outweigh some of that, the atrocities along the way. No, and, and I think a lot of historians in the Western world would, would view the Crusades as an uh, atrocity and probably something that should never have happened really. Like, I mean, we, I mean, uh, I mean uh, essentially back then the world was all about who could have the most land, but the Crusaders really went out of their way to take it to the Muslims and to really uh, uh, slaughter them really. Yeah. So I think a good note to end on would be that Deus Vault or God wills it. You mentioned in the first part, I think that it's probably the most, one of the most dangerous sentences ever uttered. (laughs) Oh, for sure. I mean, that, that, that's what spurred them on the whole way. I mean, whether it would be the idea to come up with to, to fast with no food or to find a lance that inspired them or or any other type thing. It, I mean, it was the phrase that started it and it was the phrase that 
just kept them going throughout their journey as well. So, I mean, really, I'd, I'd be interested to see if uh, Pope Urban didn't come up with that phrase, would it have been as uh, powerful in his speech, what he had said. Yeah. So, yes, yeah, brutal. Good marketing. But, um, yeah, well... That's, I guess, the end of what's been a pretty massive two-parter. Um, I hope you've enjoyed uh, the kind of depth that we've gone into with this one and um, I'm excited to see what you come up with for the next episode, Jimmy. So a big thank you for listening. I've been Jimmy D. And I've been Mr. B. Uh, stay curious. And stay cheeky. Stay cheeky.